the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, folks. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Welcome to our show on this beautiful Saturday, July 23rd, 2022. We've got a packed show for you, folks, so I'm not going to do too much of an introduction just to tell you that we've got great uh, some uh, four great guests. Our first one is Randy Clark from Breitbart. So uh, let's go ahead and jump to our first interview. Thank you for joining us. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Randy Clark, from uh, a reporter from Breitbart. And uh, he and I attended a meeting that we reported on here last week, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, regarding the um, the uh, de- declaration of invasion by three counties in South Texas. Um, I wanted to ask Randy to come on the show and tell us um, what, um, what has he seen since then, and uh, what are we seeing on the border right now, Randy? Because I, I, I mean, I, I keep hearing that um, it's still out of control. <laughs> Well, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, since since the meeting that we attended in uh, Brackettville, we know uh, an additional three counties have, have made the same declaration, and, and they're urging Governor Abbott to do the same. So now it's up to a total of six counties in Texas. Uh, Kenny, Goliad, Terrell, Jeff Davis, Edwards, Presidio, and the city of Uvalde. So it's six counties and one city uh, that have made that uh, request of, of the governor. So we know the governor has issued an executive order. He's, he's asking DPS to take migrants back to the border to a port of entry. Uh, I've seen that happen already. Uh, in, in one group, DPS has transported 300 a little over 300 to the port of entry in Eagle Pass, which is now ground zero of, of this border crisis that seems to get worse every day. Uh, but the ports of entry are not pushing those migrants back into Mexico. Number one, they're not processed. Number two, they are mostly what the Border Patrol refers to as CCVNs, which are Colombians, Cubans, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans. Uh, they're not amenable uh to Title 42 return, so they're not pushing them back to Mexico. So what's happening basically is the Border Patrol is taking those migrants from DPS, and ultimately they're getting released into the United States. So I, I think some of the rhetoric of of pushing the ball forward on how bad this crisis is and, and how it's impacting communities and, and even how it's impacting the migrants, you know, we still should remember those over 50 that died in that truck in San Antonio. Uh, we're, we have the deadliest land border, according to the United Nations. It's not hard to believe. You know, we're averaging just in Eagle Pass one migrant death per day on average. So that's something we haven't seen in decades and decades. So we're, we're at a historic crossroads right now. Now, the latest um, uh, figure that I saw regarding uh, the uh, Border Patrol contacts, the Border Patrol, uh, well, can't call them interdictions because they're not stopping them anymore, but uh, the contacts was something like uh, 200,000 for, uh, for June. Is that, uh, does that sound all right, correct? It sure does. And, uh, and spending most of my time on the border, uh, you can see that uh, in, in almost every single day. The group's 
of migrants that are crossing the river now are nearing 500 plus in one fell swoop. So they're coming over in significant groups, but you're right. It was over 207, about 207,000 in June. We, we are just shy of the same number from 2021. We're just 40,000 shy. Uh, we're sitting at 1.6 million migrant apprehensions this year we still have three months left we're into july we have august and we have september and so at an average of about two hundred thousand a month which we've been at for the last four months you can safely say you know we're going to well exceed two million just in a year when you look back at the last year of the trump administration we were a little over 400,000. So we went from 400,000 arrests to over 2 million with the bulk of them, you know, significantly more than 50% are getting released into the United States to pursue asylum claims that will probably never be heard on a docket. Oh, now, you know, you and I both worked with, uh, both worked on uh, in immigration uh, with the Border Patrol, and uh, I remember, you know, uh, in the 80s, when we thought that, um, you know, 10,000 was a huge number for a, for a year, uh, are you saying that some, that we might reach something like 6,000 this year? I mean, 6 million? No, I, I think we're going to be over 2 million over migrant 2 million. apprehensions. Gotcha. Over 2 million. Yeah, because we're already at 1.6 million, and uh, we've got still a lot three of months at 200. It's still a lot of people. <laughs> and if you'll remember, uh, those years you're talking about, you know, the the, the uh, Southern California was really getting hit hard. But most of those migrants were seasonal and they were from Mexico. Most were adult males. They were not intending to come to the United States and remain for the rest of their lives. They were trying to get seasonal employment in the fields of California, uh, in Texas and other places, and then returning with that money when the season is over. Uh, And and a lot of those were recidivist apprehensions. What we were seeing then was you'd catch the same person, two, three days, they'd finally make it, go do their work, and then they'd return to Mexico on their own around, you know, December for Christmas. And then the rush would come again in January or February, and you'd do it all over again. This is very different. You know, we, we have a lot of talk about Central America and sending money to Central America to address root causes. Well, they're not just coming from Central America. They're coming from over 100 countries. And just for June, a quarter of the apprehensions were what I was telling you about with those Cubans, Colombians, Nicaraguans, and Venezuelans. That was 54,000 that came in June alone. Those wow. people don't have – they are not leaving. They did not come here to go back and after a, you know, a season of working. Those are folks that are going to stay here, and we will probably never encounter them in any enforcement-related actions as long as this administration is in office. Now, the other aspect of this is the drugs. And uh, we have seen some huge busts lately, and I'm not sure exactly how those busts happened since the Border Patrol uh, and Customs folks are so busy processing people but uh that uh, seems to accelerate have accelerated as well well and that's what we should be scared of because anytime you have seizures uh and they are increasing it, it is a sign that the supply and the demand is increasing because we know we're not apprehending everything like you said a lot of those are at ports of entry and at highway checkpoints that the border patrol is staffing but the border patrol is nowhere patrolling between ports of entry right now the bulk of all the apprehensions are coming in texas well those are the those are the sectors that have the least amount of officers on patrol on the border so that you are seeing that at a checkpoint and at a port of entry just just lets you know how much we are, are losing and we know based on the fentanyl overdoses uh, and they're really not overdoses they're they're poisonings recreational drugs sometimes one-time use and these people are dying so it's it's a real big problem and we don't even have a, a you know sight of it right now on, on, a, on a radar you know as far as enforcement from this administration another thing that seems to be very very uh, obvious uh, the cartels have become somewhat emboldened, I will use that word, because uh, we've seen videos of people, of, of the cartel members, literally leading people into the water uh, to cross the river. 
Uh, I mean, they're 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 shameless, aren't they? <laughs> well, they're shameless, and uh, but they're also making a fortune. And these cartels are the ones that draft these schemes to get these migrants killed, either in the river, in deserts, uh, on the ranches of South Texas and Brooks County, or in the back of those semi trucks. All of this is coordinated, and these cartels they are collecting every step of the way they they love to use money gram uh wire transfers they hold these migrants hostage until the families in the united states can cough up some money and then they go on the next leg of the journey so they're extorted the entire way so they're probably paying multiple cartels from southern mexico all the way to the to the border of the united states so it's, it's i mean that's why it's the deadliest border but it's also the most corrupt anytime you have that supply of human trafficking children uh and that's another topic is really the unaccompanied minors that that's the really scary one too yeah we heard about uh, a seven-year-old girl that went from uh from uh honduras all the way to um uh, to Eagle Pass unaccompanied. That's incredible. It is incredible. And and what I think people don't realize is, you know, there was a lot of talk about family separation for, for the, you know, purpose of prosecuting folks to, to deter them from making that journey. And there were 5,000, 5,000 migrant children separated for that purpose before it was all said and done. And we remember that number. People will throw that out and say, hey, look what, look what that administration did. Well, right now, you know, we're over 113,000 self-separated migrants right now that are children that the federal government has detained and released into the United States just since October. That's over 100,000. And last year, there was over 140,000. So we're at a quarter million juveniles unaccompanied minor migrant children that this government has detained and ultimately released since this administration took office a quarter of a million and nobody talks about that where did these children go who's taking care of them and we do not look after them we it's not uh, uh, some kind of adoption agency once they're given to somebody who claims to be a relative the federal government is out of the process they don't look for that child anymore or do any welfare checks Incredible, incredible. Buddy, tell the folks where they can follow you and Breitbart um, and your reports. Uh, yes, they can find us at Breitbart, uh, our world page, Cartel Chronicles, or they can follow me at, at Randy Clark BBTX on Twitter. You got it. Once again, my friends, we've been speaking with our good friend Randy Clark, Breitbart reporter, bar none. <laughs> he uh, he is on the uh, right on the border, my friends, and uh, he's he's seeing it all. Randy, thank you very much for taking time to be with us today. You got it, George. Thank you. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got uh, Mr. Andrew Arthur uh, from the Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, in D.C., and I wanted to reach out to him because they just finished doing a panel discussion regarding uh, the issue, of, obviously, of, uh, of the border crisis that we've got, got going and uh, the issue of fighting Biden, the Biden administration in the courts, because it seems like every time that there is a victory uh, for border security and, and law enforcement, the Biden administration seems to do something else. And again, you've got to, uh, or they just seem to be uh, uh, ignoring the laws. Our, uh, Andrew, thank you very much for taking time to be with us. Talk, talk to me. Tell us about your panel and what uh, you guys see as far as fighting Biden, the Biden administration in court. Well, we talked about uh, a number of cases, uh, almost all of which have been brought by the state of Texas and other plaintiff states, against the Biden administration and its immigration programs. Uh, one case that we had talked about was uh, called Biden versus Texas. That was an attempt by the states of Texas and Missouri to prevent the Biden administration from ending the Migrant Protection Protocols, MPP, uh, better known as Remain in Mexico. That had uh, an injunction to that effect had been issued uh, in district court in Texas, Judge Matthew Kazmarek 
the Fifth Circuit affirmed that injunction. Then it went up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court reversed the Fifth Circuit, holding that uh, the uh, underlying statutory provision that uh, Remain in Mexico is based on is discretionary, not mandatory, and therefore uh, the Biden administration couldn't be forced to follow it. But they did return the uh, case back down to the lower courts for them to consider uh, the validity of the Biden administration's second attempt to end uh, Remain in Mexico. It actually had done it twice, once while the case was on appeal. Another case that we looked at uh, is Texas versus United States, and that is an effort by the states of Texas and Louisiana to prevent the Biden administration from uh, forcing uh, its agents to follow guidelines that had been issued by DHS Secretary Alejandra Mayorkas that limited immigration enforcement. That was immigration enforcement both in the interior uh, and at the borders and in the immigration courts. The third case uh, that uh, we examined was called also Texas versus Biden. This one uh, had to do with Title 42 of the U.S. Code. If you remember back in March 2020, right after the pandemic was declared, the Centers for Disease Control issued expulsion orders directing DHS to expel all illegal migrants apprehended at the southwest border at any of the land borders uh, in the United States. The Biden administration had wanted to end that on May 23rd, uh, but a district court judge in Texas has blocked that effort for now, and the Biden administration is appealing that decision up to the Fifth Circuit. And if they're not successful, they'll probably take it to the Supreme Court. That one is uh, particularly important because DHS itself um, estimates that if Title 42 ends, and again, the Biden administration wants to end Title 42, that about 18,000 or up to 18,000 legal migrants will show up at the southwest border every day. So, you know, that is a huge issue. We're seeing about 6,300 a day at the southwest border right now. If we were to, you know, almost triple that, what is a disaster at the border would become uh, an uncontrollable catastrophe. Uh, You know, uh, forgive me for saying this, but it just seems like the Biden administration is hell-bent on leaving the door open so that people can, so that illegal aliens can enter. I mean, is, is that, uh, am, I, am I exaggerating in my, my view? Yeah, no, actually, um, that is an extremely apt statement. Let me take that one step forward. We know from statements that DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has made that deterring illegal migrants is not the policy of the Biden administration. Every previous administration, keep in mind I served in the government beginning under George H.W. Bush, um, has had a deterrent strategy to, um, you know, discourage uh, foreign nationals from entering the United States illegally. The Biden administration doesn't, which is part of the reason why through the end of June uh, we've seen, uh, you know, 1.634 million uh, border Patrol apprehensions at the southwest border. And the, the same is true in the interior of the United States. The, uh, Secretary Mayorkas made clear that simply because an alien is removable from the United States is not grounds to put that person into removal, which is what's at issue in uh, Texas versus United States. And by the way, the Supreme Court is said to issue a decision in that case on a request for uh, a stay of uh, the judge's order uh, Judge uh, uh, Drew Tipton, um, which could come out any minute now. Now, one of the things uh, you mentioned, uh, the second case uh, that I find so fascinating is uh, telling telling ICE uh, that they can't enforce or pick up uh, illegal aliens. I, I don't understand that. Again, it's actually, you know, even more exceptional in certain of its aspects than just that. You could have an individual who is removable because they committed a murder, uh, because they committed sexual abuse of a minor, because they committed rape. And before ICE officers can even talk to that uh, alien, 
they have to consider all of the aggravating and mitigating factors in the case. The aggravating factors can include, you know, whether a weapon was used, uh, the recency of the crime, etc. The mitigating factors include family ties in the United States, length of residency in the United States, and the age of the alien, um, him or herself. So you could have an alien who is 60 years old, uh, with, uh, you know, an extended family here in the United States who was convicted of rape and, you know, got a pretty serious sentence. And yet, uh, ICE officers may not be able to take that rapist off the street. Uh, another provision in there, and this one I find utterly exceptional, Congress has stated that aliens who engage in domestic violence, lawfully admitted aliens, are supposed to be removed from the United States. There's a specific provision in the Immigration and Nationality Act of that effect. Mayorkas, however, uh, specifically states that when it comes to crimes of domestic violence, his officers probably shouldn't take action because that may dissuade, and I find this to be a very paternalistic statement, that may dissuade other victims of domestic violence from coming forward. Now, that's, you know, fallacious on its face, uh, you know, utterly laughable. It would be laughable if the subject weren't so serious. So, yeah, at the same time that uh, Congress has uh, passed a gun bill to close the boyfriend loophole for uh, domestic violence, uh, Secretary Mayorkas has opened a gigantic loophole for all domestic abusers in the United States who are aliens, basically a hands-off policy. Well, and we seem to have a double whammy because we've got a lot of district attorneys uh, so that uh, who refuse to um, to uh, penalize in a in a you know uh, who refuse just to flat penalize uh, criminals. And if you've got an illegal alien uh, who just uh, who gets uh, soft handed by the uh, by the DA, my gosh! I mean, they're in heaven. Yeah, no, and this is uh, actually a significant issue in states like California and Maryland that have you know directed their prosecutors specifically in law to consider the alienage of, uh, you know, any criminal defendant in pressing charges. Part of the reason why there were a grand total of three prosecutions for drug sales in the city of San Francisco last year is because then DHS at Boudin didn't want to adversely affect uh, the Honduran nationals, who apparently play a major role. About half of all drug sales are by Honduran nationals for whatever reason. Uh, in San Francisco. And so in order to protect the Honduran nationals that Mr. Bodine didn't want uh, to be deported for dealing drugs, he just really didn't prosecute hardly any DAs. George Cascon, who was uh, Chesa Boudin's predecessor, is DA in San Francisco, now the DA in Los Angeles, actually prosecuted 90 drug sale cases in 2019. So, you know, when you're when you're doing just a fraction of what George Gascon was doing, you're really not doing anything. And that's directly related to, um, you know, Mr. Boudin's interest in protecting criminal aliens in the United States. And in the meantime, we are endangering uh, American citizens. I, I just don't understand. I do not understand the the philosophy of this uh, of this administration. Uh, here in the closing minutes, we've only got a, another minute or so. Um, so what... Uh, what what can we do? I mean, what can be done in this situation? Well, the states are uh, taking the laboring oar in all of this right now. Texas, uh, front and center. But there are about 19 other states that have either joined in these cases or filed uh, briefs uh, supporting Texas in these cases. Um, and, you know, the right now the courts are the backstop for uh, any hope of immigration enforcement. By the way, you referred to citizens being threatened by these individuals. Most of these individuals get released into immigrant communities. Yeah, true. And most of those immigrants are peaceful. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, they are then preyed upon by, you know, rapists, drug dealers, murderers, you know, uh, gang members who get released. So, but um, the next uh, big thing that's going to be coming up with respect to immigration is going to be the midterm elections in November. President Biden's uh, immigration policies are 
uh, unpopular almost across the board with every demographic, uh, with the exception of uh, self-identified Democrats. They have no problems with the open border and the lax enforcement that the Biden administration has brought. But if the Republicans or security-minded Democrats uh, win victories in November, then we'll probably see a big shift in immigration enforcement by Congress using the power of the purse to tamp down on uh, some of this uh, non-feasance from the Biden administration. Well, that'll be very, very interesting, and it'll be very, very refreshing if if that happens. Uh, Andrew, thank you very, very much for being on our show today. Once again, my friends, we've been speaking with Andrew Arthur from the Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, Tell the folks where they can follow you or uh, how they can support the center. Sure. Uh, they can follow us at uh, cis.org, uh, and there's a drop-down menu. I write uh, just about every day, if not twice a day, on immigration issues. And there's also a donate button. We are a 501c3 charity, uh, so the, uh, donations to the center are tax-deductible. Um, and we don't get big corporate uh, sponsorships because... You know, most of the big corporations like open borders, so we rely yeah. on the public uh, to fund our efforts. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting uh, cheap labor. <laughs> Thank you very, very much, Andrew. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM directly from South Texas in San Antonio. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Jason Jones, a reporter with Newsmax, as well as an expert on crime on the border. Uh, I wanted to get him on because uh, I saw him two weeks ago at an event uh, when they declared, when three counties were were declaring that um, there is an invasion, of course, immediately there was a discussion as to the, whether the word invasion is now racist or not. But Jason, welcome to the show as usual. Is there an invasion continuing? <laughs> Tell us what's going on. Buddy, it's always good to be with you, George. And the answer to your question is yes. And it's not a perception. It's not a feeling. We can look at it in the data. Let me just tell you where we are for fiscal year 22, for the last nine months of this year, the men and women of the United States Customs and Border Protection have apprehended 1.7 million people. Wow. Uh, so that's more than what they apprehended in all of fiscal year 21, already just nine months in, and last year was the worst border crisis. So as you've heard me tell you that this will be the worst year in American history at our border. Uh, I can tell you that all you have to do is go to the U.S. Customs and Border Protection website and you can see it for yourself. So that's where we are, no doubt about it. But with that comes the secondary and third impacts, what I call the cascading events that are impacting the country. This is why we see 107,000 overdoses in this country. We call them overdoses, really they're, they're poisonings. Most of it directly linked to fentanyl and methamphetamine from both Similo and Cartel Jalisco, new generation. But we're also seeing other things that are now happening. You know, like you just mentioned, uh, County Judge Tully Shahan in Kinney County two weeks ago announced that for the first time, and you know, this is stunning. I mean, history is being made, and I don't think that it's really being captured in the national media, and that is that. For the first time in American history, we have had not one, but now over seven counties in Texas declare that they are under an invasion from a foreign power. We've never seen that before. And who is that power? It's sheer numbers of people all over the world. So coming into this country. So if you look at this through the lens of a U.S.-Mexico issue, you need to know that the world is truly coming. And we're seeing history play out. I mean, it's it's taking place. And I asked, just so you know, George, I sat down with the judge and I interviewed him. And the very first question I asked him, I said, Judge, I said, do you realize that in the, for the first time since the founding of this nation, you are the first man to declare that this nation is under an invasion? 
think of the power of that. Yeah, I mean, the absolute um, audacity, and that's the only word that I can think of, uh, of liberals, Democrats, uh, you know, folks that just don't believe uh, that there there is a problem, there is a crisis on the border, to start debating the the use of the word invasion. I mean, that's like we're not supposed to use illegal alien in polite con- conversation anymore, I guess. But now, I guess they don't want us to um, refer to the border crisis as an invasion. I'm not sure what else we can do. I mean, 1.7 million? That's incredible. Yeah, and that's just the last nine months. Never mind. you got to remember, we had another 1.7 million last year in fiscal year 21. So, you know, you have now the question is, why does why do they not want the word invasion being discussed? Well, you have to remember, because with it comes authorities and powers to the state. The founding fathers were brilliant in what they did. And they recognized that under Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution, that if you declare an invasion, the governor of each state has the ability to declare an invasion and then go at the problem alone, not relying on the federal government. And at the end of the day, I think that most likely that's what's going to end up happening. We still have 10 more years of this. There is no initiative from the federal government to help support border states or the northern states who are being overwhelmed with the poisoning of our citizens at unprecedented levels and at the end of the day we have to look at what's happening and these governors are going to have to act to protect their citizens that's it's really really uh so so clear to us you know i I, that i just don't understand what's going on in the other you know uh in the minds of these other folks now let me ask you about the involvement of the cartels because you've always kept us involved uh, we have seen, we have actually seen footage of cartels now being so bold as to lead people into the water <laughs> so that they can cross. Never mind the, uh, you know, the number of young people that they are hiring to um, drive cars from the border into, uh, into the interior of Texas. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah. For me, that's my sum of all fears. You know, look, George, for five and a half years after retiring from the Texas Department of Public Safety, Intelligence, and Counterterrorism Division, the reason I went public and the reason I've been doing what I've been doing is because when I was running the Texas Rangers Cross-Border Operations Center, uh, known as the uh, BSOC, we could clearly see these major tectonic shifts in Mexico as it was degrading, falling more and more under the control of these cartels and how their tradecraft uh, using military tactics to take over their country were occurring. And it was a no-brainer to see what was happening. And, you know, you hear me say it all the time that what we're really witnessing when it comes to these cartels and the U.S. government is the largest U.S. intelligence failure since 9-11 because the impacts of these cartels, they are really the puppet masters behind everything we're talking about. You know, we talk about the immigration issue. We talk about the drug problem. We talk about the symptoms, as I call them. But who are the puppet masters responsible for it all? And it is these Mexican cartels, because what they did last year was a brilliant model when it comes to making money. They saw the policies of the United States government, what it was going to bring with mass migration from all over the world. And they transition from smuggling into the trafficking of people. In other words, charging of these incredible fees we've never seen them charge just across at the river so that they, these people, as they tell me, can be the gift that keeps giving because these folks don't have the money to pay what these cartels are now charging. So, you know, they cross into the United States. They, they're so damn emboldened that the cartels are putting wristbands on men, women, and children. I mean, I just broke a story yesterday of a Honduran girl, seven years old, George, seven years old, who crossed from Honduras all the way up by herself, being passed off from smuggler to smuggler, and crossed into Roma, Texas. And sure enough, you know, they put a wristband on her as well. And so someone's going to pay a fee of a minimum of $3,000 for years to come to these cartels in a foreign country. So where I'm going with this is is we're going to have to stop looking at the symptoms and start going after the problem because they are truly here, and they are the, the fundamental problem. And if we don't start attacking that and going after it, then we're going to continue to deal with this because one thing I can tell you is somebody that knows these cartels very, very well and who has built programs in Mexico to degrade them, 
um, they will not stop. They are not a U.S.-Mexico problem. They are a global problem. And as you hear me talk about all the time, you know, you've got Sinaloa in over 54 countries, Cartel Jalisco, new generation in 48. And, you know, solutions will start to emerge when we start going after them. The immigration issue, George, is fixable. I, to me, it's a no-brainer. I don't even worry about fixing that problem. That's that's to me is not the issue. The issue is the national security implications and how we are now seeing more and more of their activities as far north. And there's not a state in this country not being impacted by them at this point. The uh, you know the uh, as you speak, the thing that comes to mind are the number of uh, of uh, folks that are on the terrorist list that have been uh, snuck into the country by the cartels. And, um, again, how little is being addressed to, uh, done to address that? Your thoughts on that before we let you go? Sure. So uh, let me talk to that because I can talk to how they move people into the, into the United States who are uh, those, we call them high values. They come from a country with a terrorism nexus. Within the government, they call them special interest aliens or SIAs. So the way the cartel will do this, when they they will also know that these people are either a Middle East uh, terrorist group or they at least suspect that they are, but they don't care. I can't tell you how many sources we have within the Gulf Cartel or the Los Zetas that knew or believed to, that they were moving in known terrorists but did not care. To them, they look at them as just more money, so they'll usually charge between forty and $60,000 to cross into the United States. And we've seen them in groups of two to five at a time, like a cell. And what they'll do is they'll even coordinate, break them up. So that way, if one or two get apprehended, at least the other three make it in. From our perspective in the West, we look at terrorists in the Middle East at a higher degree, right? We hold them as much more hyperviolent than the cartels. But when you sit down and you actually talk to the cartel members, they laugh at them. They don't look at them that they're going to get a trade craft from them or they're going to learn something from them. Because in Mexico, the cartels are in charge, and that is truly how it is. They're training with special forces. They have everything from military-grade weaponry, armored vehicles. They are the parallel government in Mexico. So really, they're just looking at it as a business model of how to move these people at a much higher rate to make more money. That's the way it really works in the underworld of, of the cartels. And they don't care if a city in the United States disappears tomorrow. Buddy, tell the folks where they can follow you, because, I mean, you're a wealth of information. Uh, tell the folks where they can follow you and how they can uh, uh, continue listening to your to your uh, important messages. <laughs> sure, you can find me. We're on, we're on all the social media, from Truth Social to Twitter to YouTube. You can find me at Jason Jones. Uh, that's J-A-E-S-O-N, Jones. Or you can find me at tripwiresandtriggers.com. You got it. Once again, my friends, we want to thank uh, our good friend Jason Jones for being on our show today. Uh, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas on KLUP 930 AM radio. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Kendrick Ward. And uh, Ken is a freelance reporter. And uh, I wanted to reach out to him because he's written some interesting articles and been following the situation. First of all, um, there was a recent uh, defense bill that went through the through the um, through the House and Congress in D.C. and there was some uh, uh, very disappointing results to, uh, associated with it. Uh, let's talk about that first, Ken. First. Welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that um, that vote that took place in Washington. Uh, certainly, George. Uh, since not many people have been uh, aware of this, uh, the media didn't really cover it, typically. Um, what it was, it was the National Defense Authorization Act, uh, a vote uh, to uh, approve money for it uh, last week. And tucked inside the bill, uh, as there always is, um, was a uh, immigration provision that would grant amnesty to adult children of temporary guest workers who 
soon to lose their legal status. And this uh, noxious amendment uh, basically uh, will allow some 200,000 people, and we're not talking about children here, we're talking about people who are of age uh, in their 20s um, to stay indefinitely in the United States because uh, otherwise they theoretically under a normal legal proceeding would be kicked out. Um, so it's it's not a lot of people by by Biden standards, considering he's letting in millions of people. But every everyone counts, and this is a case where the uh, the Democrats would be expected, of course, to vote for this kind of provision. Um, but it was actually a bipartisan amendment uh, included by a Republican from Iowa, and. Uh, Again, as I said, the media didn't shine any light on this. It's not in their interest to do so. Um, And lo and behold, it turns out that 148 Republican House members voted for this bill. Um, And one of those 148 was Myra Flores, the newly elected uh, congresswoman from the lower Rio Grande Valley, uh, who has been getting a lot of... uh, a very lavish and uh, positive press from conservative quarters, uh, while also being derided uh, and pilloried as a uh, right-wing extremist by mainstream media. Um, so you know, we're setting up the usual duopoly here, the dichotomy of you know left versus right. Uh, you know, either you're for her or against her based on the letter that's next to her name on the ballot. Uh, Republicans love her because she has an R, but Democrats think she's the worst thing ever. Um, You know, we heard the stories about Joe Biden and talking about breakfast tacos and stuff like that. It just gets into the realm of silliness. Um, But Myra didn't do herself any favors um, when she started to hear rumblings and get some blowback on, on her vote for this effective amnesty she at first basically denied it claiming that though that that's not amnesty and there's nothing like that in the bill but then of course confronted with the facts and the reality she had to admit that oh yeah well yeah there's that but she hasn't been able to blow it off she hasn't been able to to get rid of this issue at least as far as some of the conservative elements in her district and she has really stepped in it to the point where she is now possibly jeopardized her chances for re-election because um, people are paying attention uh, are really concerned that she's not who she presented herself to be that she's not strong on immigration issues uh, she has previously voted on on gun bills that uh, went the other way so her credentials are really uh, in question here so she may be doing a, a triangulation thing here. I mean, all these politicians are at the at the mercy of their handlers. And given that there's a lot of Democrats in her district, maybe she figures that she can sort of uh, thread the needle and uh, keep enough of them on board to offset any uh, attrition she might get from the Republicans and somehow triangulate her way to victory uh, in this November when she stands for re-election. Um, uh, we, we'll, we'll see, but um, the bottom line is, George, uh, her her behavior, uh, her tweets, um, the tone of her, her response has been really off-putting to a lot of people, and it's, it's opened a lot of people's eyes as to uh, who Myra Flores really is. That's very, very disappointing. Uh, I know that also Tony Gonzalez was another congressman that voted for that bill, and... Um, it's just very, very disappointing because, I mean, we've got to make sure that we understand that any form of amnesty is rewarding illegal immigration. I mean, that's the bottom line. Any time that you provide any kind of of, uh, of amnesty, you're going to encourage more because, well, you've rewarded that. And even if it's only 200,000 compared to the millions, it's still, you know, uh, it, it is encouraging it. Very, very yeah, you're right. You're right, George. It's it's uh, it's a bright line. It should be clear to everybody. Uh, Myra tried to to fudge it and to blur it. And uh, you're correct. Uh, 
Tony Gonzalez voted the same way, along with 147, 146 other Republicans. Um, it's disturbing, distressing when Congress people uh, who represent the border um, vote this way. And uh, Tony has had some issues, just like Will Hurd did before him uh, in the 23rd District, centered in Laredo, where uh, they get they get very uh, squishy on these on, on what should be a very clear. Uh, immigration issue. Um, he was out tweeting yesterday, Tony Gonzalez was, about how he has secured $22 million for a child development center at Lackland and uh, another $29 million for a development center at Randolph. I mean, this is just you know, standard pork barreling. It's not even a lot of money when you think about it. In the meantime, uh, he's got the largest, the largest uh, uh, border with Mexico, which is absolutely sibbing right now right and this is uh tony's district uh there um laredo uh eagle pass del rio all the way out to uh almost to el paso almost to el paso exactly so it's a very active area and all we've been hearing from him is uh we need more bridges to cross the river (laughs) uh it's like it's like it's surreal where his priorities are let me ask you uh, another question, because um, um, recently three counties, um, and I think it's up to six counties and one city, have, decla- have asked the, the, the governor to declare an invasion. And even the word invasion has suddenly become racist, according to, um, to some of the leftists. Um, do you think there's anything that the governor can really, really do to stop this uh, invasion? Well, uh, George, I, I read your article on that uh, this week, and uh, you bring up some good points. Uh, there are some courageous uh, sheriffs down in, um, in South Texas. Uh, you have Brad Coe in Kinney County. You have Roy Boyd out in uh, Goliad, which is not on the border, but they get a lot of through traffic on the way to Houston and a lot of bailouts and a lot of uh, disruption along the way. Um, so these counties are are absolutely in desperate straits. They're not getting help from anybody. Um, the Their contention on this invasion is that they want to trigger uh, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution, which says that states cannot conduct foreign policy or engage in war, quote, unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit delay, unquote. That's that's the wording. So uh, the uh, Attorney General of um, Arizona, uh, former DHS uh, Deputy Secretary Ken Cuccinelli, and others have argued that this invasion declaration is a key piece of the legal strategy uh, that will empower and enable states to take action because clearly the Biden administration is standing down. Now, this is this is a point at which Greg Abbott has not been willing to go. Um, I had an article this week talking about all the things that he has done, mostly from a legal standpoint, because the governor here is basically deferring to Washington operationally while continuing to file lawsuits here and there winning some, losing some um, against Biden policies. So what what, uh, Texas has done thus far is they had uh, done enhanced vehicle inspections at the border uh, because Border Patrol wasn't really doing a thorough job at that. Uh, He signed security agreements with four northern Mexico governors uh, who were vowing to step up uh, their own security. Uh, That's been a sketchy... uh, outcome on that so far, obviously, because we had that horrific case of uh, the semi-truck full of 53 illegal aliens who died south of San Antonio, Um, and they obviously came in from Mexico. And then uh, the the state and localities, um, especially Kinney County, have been prosecuting migrants on state and local charges like trespassing. Uh, So they put a few hundred of of these criminal migrants away for relatively short terms. The problem is 
this all leads back to they're, Washington. They're, yeah, and, they're, and they're, they are turned over to the Border Patrol, who in turn releases them. <laughs> you're back to right. square one. So Abbott said, uh, well, we're going to authorize, this is his latest twist, we're going to authorize the National Guardsmen and uh, state DPS officers to apprehend uh, illegal aliens in Texas and return them to the border. Not across the border, just, just to, to the border. border. Which in turn right. again we're, 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 puts border, them back right. there. Border Patrol will take possession and then we know what happens from there. They'll just get released, released and yeah. sent back in. Uh, hey, Ken, we're, we're running short on time. Can you give us a conclusion before I, sir, before I let you go? Well, the conclusion is that whatever Abbott is doing, and he's getting good press for it, is actually just a half measure. It's not really anything more than a speed bump uh, for these illegal aliens on their way into the country. And until and unless he does declare an invasion and is able to take action and send migrants back across the border, uh, we're just stuck with the same problem and biden holds all the trump cards ah you got it thank you very very much once again my friends we've been speaking with our good buddy mr ken ward freelance reporter who has been doing a great job of uh, keeping us informed ken thank you very very much tell the folks where they can find you and where they can read more about you uh the best source uh, i find is uh, the federation for american immigration reform and you can find their work at fair u.s org so uh, check out that site there's daily blogs up there that'll keep people informed and, and give you stories and news that is not being presented in the mainstream media you got it once again my friends george rodriguez el conservador on klup 9:30 a.m radio the answer once again folks thank you very very much for joining us today i want to thank randy clark from breitbart Andrew Arthur from the Center for Immigration Studies, Jason Jones, our good friend from Newsmax, and Ken Ward, a very, very good friend, a very, very good independent reporter. Thank you very, very much for joining us today, my friends. I hope that you will share our program and tell others about it. We uh, uh, we endeavor tremendously to inform and educate people about what is happening at the border and what is also happening with race relationships, because Because taking care of the border, my friends, is not racial. It's not racist. It's about the national security of our nation. That's what it's about. Until next time, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.